is the Homestead Education Podcast, where we talk all things homesteading and we want to share our passion and experience for this lifestyle with you. Okay, hello everyone. Welcome to this episode of the Homestead Education Podcast. It is a sweltering 100 degrees in my area of New Jersey, and it also is in Kansas City, Missouri, where Mandy is. Hey, Mandy, how you doing? Hi, so good. How are you? I'm good. So, yes, we are staying hydrated. We're trying to stay cool. But do you know what is loving mm-hmm. the heat in the garden? Tomatoes. Tomatoes. Tomatoes, peppers, tomatillos, all of those nightshades are just as happy as can be. Uh, with the exception of humidity and blight. And today we're going to talk about what that means because this is the tomato episode. Can't be a homesteader and grow food without talking about a love of tomatoes, right? Yeah. Somebody asked and it was a very, it was a toss up, but if you could only grow one thing, what would it be? Totally. Tomatoes. Yeah. Same. People are crazy about tomatoes. Like people feel so passionately about the methods of growing tomatoes it's like honestly it's almost like parenting kids like differences people are that passionate and there's there's to stake or not to stake to prune or not to prune and we're going to get into some of that today um but the thing about a tomato i think it's one of the crops that has the most clear definition of flavor when it comes to the difference between grocery store and homegrown i mean you can taste that freshness yeah, it is. It is truth. I mean, I think that and we've talked about it in so many different episodes and in, in the garden type um, conversations that we have. But I would agree that tomatoes probably are the number one thing that even if you go to the grocery store, I'll just specifically think um, talk about ours. You know, it will say like um, hot house grown to me. It's just not the same. They're absolutely not the same. Um so since it's our favorite crop, and I would probably say it's a lot of people's favorite crop, we just want to talk about, you know, differences and um, go into a little bit of care and indeterminate versus determinate. And, um, how, okay, but first of all, this is fun. How many, to- how many tomato plants do you grow? Always a minimum of 35. There's more than that around the property this year because I got a little carried away and I lost count. <laughs> but <laughs> I mean, how many do you grow? I think that we have like 150. Which okay, is, so then. Which is ridiculous. I'm very well aware that it's like absolutely wild and ridiculous. But, but why? Why do you grow so many tomatoes? You know, because I, I'm a sucker. I fell for all the. You know, I think it is so interesting to taste all of the varieties and um, see all of the, the the variations. But really, actually, it's the easiest thing for us to preserve. I think it's very versatile when it comes to things like that. And we were talking uh, just before we even started recording about. Um, how we just freeze our tomatoes whole and I pulled out tomatoes from the freezer that we put in there last year. So it's one of those things where to me, it's, um, it's a crop that it kind of like never stops giving. Yeah. It's interesting too, when it comes to usage of tomatoes, Mandy, you do a lot of freezing. 
mm-hmm. and I do a lot of canning. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, I kind of do freezing in the intermittent of canning because I can only can so many at a time and keep up, you know, with so many tomatoes. So yes, they tend to come in faster than what I can reasonably harvest or reasonably process. And so I take the harvest, I do throw them in the freezer and then I just can as I'm able, whether that be a couple of weeks later or even months later. Um, Mandy was saying that she has 35 gallon bags, 35 gallons frozen from last year. And she's able to still take them out and just make sauce, you know, for that evening's dinner. Um, so they are incredibly versatile. Most people think of fresh eating, obviously, and sauces. But if you would just want to freeze them and have them for use later, totally fine. You could dehydrate them. You can make sun-dried tomatoes. Of course, there are sauces, tomato powder, paste. Um, you can make soup. If you have a pressure canner, you can look at making recipes that are more shelf-stable with a pressure canner, such as chili, barbecue sauces, all those things. Mm-hmm. Um, so incredibly versatile, but you got to get the tomato first before you can do anything with it. Let's talk about how you get the tomato to thrive. Okay. Um, well, I think that the foundation that we talk about all the time is just like a good working soil, right? Which mm-hmm. is alive. And we've, we've really, we've really talked about that and it's very deep um, rooted within both of us and knowing that it's like your ecosystem in your garden and knowing that your soil is alive um, and treat it well. And if you feed it, then it's going to feed your plants period. The end, like if you don't take anything else from anything that we say, that is just, I hope that you remember that. Um, tomatoes are easy to grow. Uh, in my opinion, they're, they're very, they're, they're very easy to grow from seed, um, and things like that. So how do you even get a ripe tomato? Okay. So really good soil. Um, tomatoes like a pH around like 6.5 ish. Some, some publications will say a little bit lower. Some will say a little bit higher. Um, I, I think that they, they thrive in about 6.3 to 6.5. I'm not saying you have to go check your soil pH or anything like that, but if you have, if you struggle with, um, well, quite frankly, anything in the garden, doing something like that, checking your, your, doing a soil test is, very cheap and gives you tons of information. Um, you don't want the pH to be too high when you are growing tomatoes. That's just the, that, that's the, the biggest thing. Mm-hmm. I, I think. So then when you're looking at your seed packets, when you're buying seed starts, you know, mm-hmm. you're going to be sort of approached with a couple of different options and then there's varieties. So. Options first, you're going to see determinate and indeterminate tomatoes. And that refers to the height. Yep. So a determinate tomato means the height has been determined. We know how big this tomato is going to get, how tall the plant is going to get is what I mean. So you might know that it would fit if you have maybe only a three foot or four foot trellis, or you want to make sure it stays in the confines of a three or four foot tomato cage. You know that a determinate tomato is going to get that big because the height has been determined. An indeterminate tomato, though, we don't know how tall it's going to get. It could grow forever. And that is going to be what Mandy's going to want for her tomato tunnels (laughs) and grow over the top of those arches. So if you're looking for a big old vine to cover something, you would like an indeterminate tomato. Um, 
this kind of segues into trellising, but I want to, before we get there, I want to just touch on the other choice that you'll have to make with regard to tomatoes. And that's what kind of tomato do you want? So there's plum tomatoes, there's cherry tomatoes, there's pear, beef steak, slicing, paste. This kind of refers to the shape. And when it comes to paste, that refers to like the water content and how meaty or how much flesh the inside of the fruit has. So for sauce and paste, you're going to want to typically go for a paste tomato. Very popular paste tomato is a Roma tomato or a San Marzano tomato. Yes, you could absolutely eat those fresh. They just tend to be a little bit smaller or more oval in shape. They're going to be a little bit more long or finger-like, but they're more meaty. They have more flesh and not as much water. I personally can everything. I can my slicers, my cherries. I think that sun golds make an excellent tomato sauce because it's super sweet. But if you're looking for something that doesn't have as much water content, steer clear of those and stick with the paste. A slicing tomato or a beef steak is going to be something that's great on a sandwich. If you're thinking of a BLT or you just want to have it maybe in um, a caprese salad, that's going to be where your slicers come in. Then you've got your little ones, your smaller ones, your cherries, your pears. We grow all of them. Do you? Oh, yeah. But first of all, is it really caprese? I mean, I know you're like really... Is that how you're supposed to say it? Because do I say it wrong? I say caprese. It's fine. Caprese would be. That's correct. Pronunciation. But it's also like not here in the States. That's not pronounced. Like that's not American quote unquote pronunciation, right? Like if I go to a restaurant and I were to say, can I have some bruschetta? They'd be like, what? You just say bruschetta. Right? Yeah. Angela's Italian, everybody. <laughs> that's, that's what that's that's where I was like, oh my gosh, I'm like so country. I'm like, can I have some bruschetta and caprese salad? Yeah, you're good. You're good. Okay. Uh, we all know what that means. So yeah, we've got our different varieties. Yeah. Go buy them as seed starts. Go buy them as seeds and make your own. We have different episodes on the pros and cons of each of those. But regardless, when you get them outside. You have to take care of them. How do you do that, Mandy? Well, I want to back up just a little bit too. And you were talking about indeterminate, indeterminate, and yeah. also their height and like, but it also like their growing habits are going to be the main differences. Um, most of your cherry tomato varieties are going to be in, indeterminate, meaning they like grow for forever, which makes sense, right? Because um, they're smaller, they can grow taller, and their your plant isn't going to like collapse in on itself. If you can you if if you imagine having a determinate type variety that would grow for forever, it, you would have the amount of um, support you would need would be ridiculous, and it would probably it, it wouldn't work. So that's nature figuring it all out for us, which is really really cool. So. Yeah, so your cherry tomatoes are gonna ha- are are gonna be indeterminate. They have like a very sprawling growth habit, um, and that's why we like to grow them along the tunnel. Um, so if you are limited on space, most folks are gonna choose determinate varieties, which Angela said the height just like everything is already determined and they're going to be more compact, but those are going to be the ones that you're going to have that are going to be like bigger and meatier and your slicers and things like that. So, I mean, uh, the, all things to take into consideration when you are thinking about space and what types of tomatoes you want to grow. 
okay, what question did you ask me now? I said, how do you get your tomatoes off to a good start when you're growing them? Are you staking? Talk a little bit about your process. Um, Right. So like Angel mentioned, and if you've seen um, our social media pages, we, Casey built like a tomato, we we call it our tomato tunnel. That's exactly what it is. Um, And all it is is raised beds on two sides. They're about four feet apart. And we um, fixed cattle panels or hog panels, whatever you call them, to the, um, they're 16 foot long, four foot across, four foot in like a few inches. Um, and they mostly, we grow indeterminate. Now I will grow determinate, indeterminate and switch off in regards to spacing. I don't follow a lot of rules. Um, but we will just tie them to the, um, the, the cattle panels. I use baling twine because it is very cost effective. I don't use those clips or anything like that. You can get a roll of baling twine. But baling twine is just stuff that bales hay. I mean, you get it in like millions of feet long for 20 bucks. I've been using the same roll for three years. Um, and we will go out usually about once a week and just kind of tie up the stragglers. Most of the time it's the indeterminate ones that we're having to continuously tie up if they're not planted in our tomato tunnel. So those cattle panels, they arch, you could just do like one that was totally flat across the back of a bed or, you know, even in a plot in the ground. Um, It kind of just like gives them something to grow up against. Right. So um, it gives them just like a a guide, the the plants. It's the same thing with growing vertically with anything. It kind of just gives them that natural support and they, they will start to go up that you can kind of weave them in and out of the squares in the cattle panels. If we don't have cattle panels by some of the tomatoes, um, we will just uh, like split a two by four or something like that and use a stake and tie it to that. That's going to be more of the, your determinant varieties. They're going to work a little bit better um, in that regard. But again, just trying to throw out some ideas for everybody. We despise tomato cages. I think that they're ridiculously expensive and they're hard. They're so cumbersome. I feel like to work with. So there are so many. That as long as you can support the plant, you can support the plant. However, you find that works for you. I mean, throw out other ideas. I mean, just any so rebar. I mean, yeah, rebar or bamboo poles because yeah. bamboo poles are super cheap, and I can make teepee trellises, you know, for other crops. Um, but I'll stick it in the ground a couple feet. They're super sturdy. And then as the plant grows, I just use twine to attach the the main stem of the plant to the pole. Um, I space mine, my, my twine, you know, how often I'm, I'm attaching it to the trellis. I I wait till the, you know, there's about an eight to 10 inch difference in height. Then I'll come retie it so that it's encouraged to grow vertically. There's this approach called the Florida weave where you can have a T post or another sturdy post. Let's just picture like a four by eight raised foot bed that you're growing tomato plants in to make it an easy visual here. And what you would do is as the tomatoes are growing upward, you're literally weaving twine from one pole on one end of the bed 
in and around the plants and then tying it off at the other pole and coming back and weaving it in and out of the plants. And you can see a better visual of that online. Just look up the Florida weave. Some people swear by that. I personally hated it. Um, so people feel very passionately about their trellising structures. Do you have to trellis? No. They're a uh, crystal of Holstead Homestead. She's an author. She does not trellis. And she, she lets them go. She lets them go. Yeah. And she has amazing harvest. Yeah. Some people swear up and down that trellising will increase or decrease your harvest. I don't know. I don't know. Have they done trials on that? Maybe. I haven't read those studies. But all that to say, just do what works for your space. If you're trying to grow vertically to increase gardening space with other crops around for companion planting, when it comes to the tomato, you would want to look at a trellising option. Did you know that the state vegetable of New Jersey is the tomato? I did. Oh, oh yeah. There's all this is this is a big deal. Okay, that's the really Rutgers, cool. I want the Rutgers tomato because Rutgers yeah. University is a thing. It's a big thing. Um, and I also remember reading somewhere that um, we uh, or Americans, uh, gosh, I think I. Uh, on the USDA website, I just read it like two weeks ago or something like that, that we eat like 20 something pounds of tomatoes per person per year, which it seems crazy, but well, I bet cause pizza, pasta, oh, sure. ketchup, ketchup yeah, barbecue. Okay. Okay. That makes a little bit more sense. Okay. I also, um, I also did read on the USDA website that um, like something in the 90% of households, American households uh, grow tomatoes in their backyard. So I think that it is like one of the number one things. I know that friends, if they have just like a small garden, they will grow tomatoes and a few peppers or, you know, something like that. They're not getting into all of the, you know, all the very interesting crops and they're not probably doing it to can or freeze or anything like that just strictly for fresh tomatoes but that's a high percentage it's really cool well they do well in containers yes they do you know so that's and you can do them vertically like in the pots um i want to talk about pruning because this is where some people would cringe at my garden because i'm not a big pruner and so people would be like oh my they should be naked and have no leaves and just a stem and only fruit. It's not my style. I get that that's some people's style. That's fine. You do you, boo. Um, but <laughs> pruning, <laughs> pruning for me is more of a, a question of health. So when you get into these hot summer months, especially if it's humid in your climate, you're, you're going to be open to blight. And you'll usually see this with yellowing of the leaves, maybe some brown splotches. And it usually starts at the bottom because it's a soil-borne issue. And once you kind of get blight in your soil, if you were to plant tomatoes not only this year but next year and your tomatoes experienced blight, the ones in the same spot are going to experience it next year too, which is why it's important to remove those yellowing leaves and remove those plants when you're finished with them and not compost them, but either throw them in the garbage or burn them because we're trying to destroy that blight. If we put it in the compost, there's a very good chance you're just going to have 
it still be infected in the compost. And when you put it back on whatever garden bed, you just reintroduce blight into the soil. Yep. So for me, pruning is just a means of getting rid of yellowing leaves and trying to slow that, that blight process and just keep a cleaner plant. The other reason I use pruning is as a means for airflow. So if I have so much foliage that yeah, it is humid. Yeah. You know, I am seeing a lot of leaves touching and it's just, I want the fruit maybe to ripen a little faster than it is already. I could go in and I could cut some of those leaves back. And that would be another reason I would prune. How, what are your thoughts on pruning? Same. Uh, yeah. I mean, for me, it's everything that you just said, but it's also just uh, a work um, or I guess time in the garden situation. I'm going to spend my time removing any disease looking leaves or if it's really, I, I, I will see it more in determinate varieties than indeterminate varieties because they're going to be, the bulk of the plant is going to be down a little bit lower. So if you are pruning, quote unquote, you might be pruning more of your determinate varieties versus your indeterminate varieties. Um, but it is mainly for health. I don't take off suckers. I leave it all there. Um, so it again is health and of the plant and the soil, but for, it's also just time. And, um, I don't know. I don't know the, uh, what I'm, what I'm necessarily thinking or trying to say is all of the, the different methods of growing and things like that. Um, it, it's not, it's not hard. Like you don't have to do everything that everybody else does or, or whatnot, right. You don't have to have the fancy stuff and, and you don't have to spend so much time out there pretty, you're still going to get food. Um, I think that a common myth is that people want to remove suckers from the, your tomato plants specifically. Um, and the thought is that you're going to get more food. You're going to get more, you know, I personally think that that's false because if you're removing flower, if you're removing the parts of the plant that are potentially going to produce a flower or, you know, a, a, a tomato, then, um, you might, I will say this, you might have a smaller amount of larger fruit, but your overall, um, harvest will be less. Yeah. Cause you've removed fruiting plant matter. Yep. The other thing I don't, think that people take into consideration is absolutely you can take a sucker off and some people do that because you're supposed to be able to put that sucker a sucker is sort of like a diagonal stem that grows out at between the base stem your long tall vertical stem and then another branch that's the sucker is the diagonal growth that comes in the crotch of those two original pieces you can take that sucker and you can put it in water and it's supposed to be able to regroup so if you want to use that as a means for creating another plant that's one thing but I don't think what people realize is also anytime you remove any large branching plant matter from any plant, not just the tomato, yeah, eventually you might be able to argue that the plant is going to put energy into those fruits, creating bigger fruits on the remaining branches. But initially, that plant has to recover. And so there's going to be energy not going to any fruit. The energy is going to be going to healing the skin of where now there has been an open wound created because you removed a large fruiting sucker. In addition to that, um, especially if it's blight season, disease and pest season, you've just created an open wound that the plant now has to fight potential infection. Yep. So these are the reasons that I choose not to remove 
suckers is because I would just much rather say, okay, I'm going to get rid of through natural sort of mimicking of abscission, removing dead, decayed matter. I'm not going to open up any potential for damage anywhere else. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Talk a little bit about the idea that you should go around and tickle your tomato blossoms. Tomatoes are self-pollinating. So you don't need to do that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, it's different when it's different than like a squash. A lot of, a lot of us will see um, people specifically, obviously on social media that are self-pollinating their zucchini or their squash or summer squash, right? Cause you have a male and a female flower and they look very different on the inside. Your tomatoes are self-pollinating. So you don't have to do anything. Your wind. I mean, if I'm, I'm not saying that it's not helpful. Um, it doesn't, I personally believe it doesn't change a dang thing. I mean, if you're going through and you're messing with them, you're pruning, you're tying them up, you're, you know, just the wind and whatever, just nature itself is going to move the plants around. And, um, yeah, no tickling required. <laughs> the bees will do that. Ants right. will do that. Flies. Um, we got, we got plenty of tomato ticklers out there. Um, now let's talk about harvesting. Okay. When do you harvest your tomatoes? Do you wait for them to fully ripen or do you just let them blush? Um, the latter. Um, so there are, there is like science behind that. Um, and there's also chickens behind that. Yeah. (laughs) Or just, you know, bunnies, rat, whatever, um, wild birds, whatever it is, squirrels, raccoons. Yesterday was at our, um, garden at what the state park that I volunteer for master gardener and um we don't do anything for you know it's of course a very it's an all organic garden and but we don't do anything for like raccoons or deer or anything like that it's just like a natural out there whatever and the raccoons will come in and take the almost like the blushed tomato that you know is going to be very perfect the next day and take a bite of it and like leave it in the bed. Yeah. Um, so we harvest when they, um, and we can post some pictures too, both of us, like we, when they are about to be ripe. Same. And I will say there then too, a lot of, it is a very common myth. You do not and should not put your tomatoes in a sunny window to ripen. They will ripen. You actually don't want to. Um, it's not needed for the ripening. And the your temperature and humidity is actually what's going to um, aid in the ripening process if you're bringing it inside your house. Um, if you, and you also don't want to put your tomatoes in the fridge, do you, I mean, like that is something that you probably heard a long time ago, right? I mean, we everybody thinks that. But if you think about it, when you go to the grocery store, the tomatoes are not stored in the fridge. Um, you don't want to put yours in the fridge because it will actually like break down the the components of the tomato and it will taste less good, which is not a, a complete sentence. But well, it's not natural. If you think about it, when they grow, it's warm out, right? So yeah. to keep them cold might keep them quote-unquote fresh longer but the taste is going to deteriorate for sure um 
I don't right. even know. Well, yeah, I don't even actually think it will keep them longer. I mean, I should do, we should definitely do an experiment. We should do an experiment. I keep mine on the countertop. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I just don't want to take up fridge space with all these tomatoes either. And we just go through them fast enough that it doesn't really make sense. Um, but yeah, same thing. We pick them when they blush because I encourage a lot of birds in my garden to help with insect control. And yeah, there's plenty of insects to feed on, but they sure don't mind stopping for a bite of a tomato. So I just rather harvest them before they're fully ripened. And so they're definitely blushing. They're probably maybe three quarters ripe, 60% ripe. I have some out there that still have a little green on them. I never pick green tomatoes. Some people pick green tomatoes, especially at the end of the season. Uh, as things are cooling down, they'll pick off the green tomatoes. I've never had a green tomato ripen ever. No, not like one that's like, but you can make fried green tomatoes. I've never had fried green tomatoes. Oh, well, I bet you try this year. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe um, so I think that's probably maybe like the, the most common myth where people struggle, you know, there's actually science behind, um, picking a tomato when it, when Angela is, you know, saying blushing. So when it reaches that stage, it will continue. Once it has reached that stage, it will continue to ripen off the vine and will still taste like a vine ripened tomato. You'll see that verbiage a lot in stores and things like that. Um, it will still taste, taste the exact same way. It actually, there is no benefit um, nutritional wise or, you know, health of the plant um, or taste wise, you know, nutrition and taste are a little bit different. There's no science or um, information surrounding letting it vine ripen is, is better than picking it when it is about to be vine ripened. I mean, you, just like we've both said, if you let it turn all the way red or pink or whatever it is, orange, yellow, you're inviting pests, you're inviting, you know, things to come and pick your harvest off too. So storms, when they're definitely ready to be picked, obviously they're easier, right? Like they could, they'll fall off sometimes if you knock them. So if you get a big wind or rainstorm, they're going to fall off and then probably rot in your soil. Well, and I would argue if you're waiting for them to be perfectly, quote-unquote, ripe, they're going to start softening very quickly. Yeah, the sun yeah. is going to solarize not only the skin of the tomato, but the tissue inside, and it's going to degrade past ripe very fast. I would rather pick it a little bit early than when I think it's, quote-unquote, perfectly ripe, and it's going to be real soft. So, yeah. Yeah. Blush. Yeah. Um, I was going to say something, but I can't remember. Sorry. But no, oh, it also, if you are letting all of your tomatoes ripen on the vine, it's going to cause like fruit overload. Your plant's going to get too heavy, potentially. Potentially. Same with, I mean, that, that would be more of a determinant variety because I don't think we mentioned it at the beginning, but um, your determinant varieties are most often going to ripen all at the same time. I didn't know that. Yeah. So if you, if you pay attention to your determinant and your indeterminate varieties, your determinate varieties, most will like flower and fruit all at the same time. Um, and I don't yes. mean like all the same day, but in a very short window, but yeah. think about like sun golds or your indeterminate, right? Your, your, like your yellow pear varieties, like we're getting them now. We will get them right. through September because the plant keeps growing and it keeps flowering and fruiting. Oh, yeah. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Hmm. That's cool. Yeah. Um, I don't think I have any other notes to add on that. The one thing I did want to cover, I think, is probably the biggest 
sort of challenge that people might see when growing tomatoes is something called blossom end rot. And that's where they try to grow a tomato or a pepper or even an eggplant. It can happen to any of the nightshade family members. The fruit ends up looking like it's going to grow and thrive. And then it starts to take on color. And then when you go to look on the underside of it, when picking or even before then, there's a big black splotch of rot on the bottom. And it even might start to mold and start turning a little white. That is not um, necessarily a plant-derived disease. It's a soil-derived issue. You want to expand on that? Well, I think a lot of this also comes in with people talking about blossom and rot and calcium levels in their plants or their soil. So it um, it is not necessarily, um, well, how, I don't know how to... To, to kind of explain this without going off on like a major tangent, but um, it's all about how we feed our soil. It goes back to all of that. And um, do you have adequate calcium levels in your soil? Or if your soil is just balanced as a whole, you likely won't have a lot of issues with the majority of your crops. With blossom and rot, um, it is specifically with like tomatoes and eggplant, um, peppers, and I think some melon varieties, but I've never seen it, but it, in, in our garden in melon varieties, um, it has to do with the water uptake, um, and balance of you watering your garden. So what I mean by that is when you water your garden, the plants will absorb nutrients. If you, um, if they, so it, it's, two, it's two things. If there are a lack of nutrients in your soil, then they're, they're most of the time what it is is going to be a deficiency and there's not going to be, which is why we have blossom in rot, there's not going to be enough um, in the soil for the plant to uptake. But it also you see blossom in rot when we are watering inappropriately or inefficiently um, and not deep enough or you're watering you just a little bit and so then the plant will take up some nutrients but not enough and then it's like constantly trying to suck nutrients from the soil. but never getting enough so that Angela and I again we're talking before we started recording about are we going to go water our gardens today and I, I mean most of the time I'm we are watering just a couple of times a week maybe three times a week when it gets super duper hot but if you water for deep periods of time then you're doing like a massive feed if you will of nutrients that are already in your soil for specifically since we're talking about tomatoes um, and you will have less issues like blossom end rot, which yes, um, are most widely known as like a calcium deficiency, but it's not necessarily because it's not, it's not because you need to actually like provide calcium in that, you know, pure form to the plant. Um, it's how the already, um, the, the nutrients that are already in the soil, how they're being delivered to the plant. Does that make sense? Yeah, so this goes into water solubility. Um, so, for example, plants, they take up energy and nutrients through their roots, right? So if you were to go take some bone meal, right, because bone contains calcium, and put that on your garden in a grit form, your job, quote-unquote, isn't done because 
it's still in a hardened form and a plant doesn't eat with teeth. We have to make it soluble calcium, soluble nitrogen, soluble phosphorus. This means it has to be water soluble. It has to be in a liquid form. We have to take the solid and turn it into a liquid so that it can be taken up through the roots of the plant. The way to do that, like Mandy is saying, is to apply water. So when you're watering, you're going to break down any of those solids and turn it into a liquid to help the plant be able to absorb it. There you, go. you might have calcium already. Your plant, if you're not watering enough, just might not be able to access it and get it because it's not turning into a liquid form. There you go. Yeah. So I think that, uh, you know, a common thing that we see or, you know, like fat or whatever is people will crush up eggshells and put them in the hole of the, um, the hole where you're going to plant the tomato. And I'm absolutely not saying that that doesn't help. That might help for a very short period of time. And think about when you're adding adding that calcium to the soil. Um, your plant is not fruiting. It's short. It's tiny. You know, it's it, it, you've just plucked it from your greenhouse or, you know, bought it at the store. And it doesn't actually truthfully need a lot of that calcium. So if you can do even, you know, one better and just have a calcium, phosphorus, just nutritious, um, rich soil to begin with, then you don't actually have to do a ton of, you know, amending as your plants grow because your plant already has all those nutrients. And also if you think about the eggshell thing, it's not going to be water soluble like Angela is saying. And so those nutrients aren't really going to have any uptake to the plant. Yeah. They have to break down first. Yeah. Like it has to decompose. It has to turn into compost, if you will. So you might've put it in the soil, but that doesn't mean that it's ready for the plant to use. Right. Um, that's why it's better to sort of do, I keep saying quote unquote, that's annoying. That's why you have to um, amend your beds in the spring. And that's why you amend in the fall because you're trying to create a supply of nutrients. So anything that does need time to break down before the plant can access it and use it you're you're doing that already it needs to be in there first and then there's the whole argument well couldn't i have just applied liquid nitrogen or excuse me liquid fertilizer yeah you can absolutely do that if that's part of your um your gardening practice i don't do fertilizers anymore i used to be a big advocate for that now i just sort of do um comfrey tea fertilizer and compost tea because i'm interested in enhancing soil structure more than just applying individual nutrients and trying to apply a wide panel of things an array of things but if you're if you're looking to add solids and add amendments the fall and the spring would ideally be the best time to do that don't you agree oh absolutely yeah i mean if you had to choose one i would choose fall over spring which seems crazy but you want to give the soil time to um absorb all those nutrients and have it like work for itself. Um, yeah. so yeah, well, gosh, this is funny because, uh, I was like, this is going to be so short and sweet and this has just been very fun. But <laughs> I mean, like we said, what was it? Something in the 90 percentile of people grow tomatoes in their backyard. Um, yeah. and I think that there are some, there are certain things that people struggle with. And, um, yeah, it's very fun. 
it's very, very fun. One of the, one of my favorite crops to grow. It's interesting. I did, I was looking at um, Instagram the other day and I don't remember whose account it was, but somebody said something like people always say uh, tomatoes are one of the easiest crops to grow. And I lovingly want to shake them. I don't, I don't think it's complicated. I think it's not. And hopefully it's it's definitely, it's not complicated. Um, I think that for a lot of people, when it comes to growing food in general, it all goes back to your soil health. It has nothing to do with necessarily like um, how it it really doesn't have to do with the, the pepper or the tomato or the lettuce or whatever it is. Sure. You should have like, you know, decent seeds and stuff like that. But if you are feeding your soil, your soil is going to feed the plants and then they're going to feed you. And then maybe I think it it could be its own podcast episode, but if you're constantly out there having to maintain your plants, you're going to keep having to maintain your plants. There's a lot to be said for how you as the gardener take care of your crops. Do you want them to be self-sustaining or do you want them to rely on you? Because if you want them to rely on you, you should be adding lots of fertilizer. You should be pruning all the time. You should be trellising every single branch and pruning every sucker. But if you want a, a thriving, self-sustaining garden, you kind of don't need to do all that. And you don't. That's a thing. You don't. Yeah. You don't need to. Um, right. We, yeah, I mean, you're correct. We could probably have a, its own, you know, episode. Uh, but another thing that maybe people can ponder on or we can kind of like leave people with is kind of um, just on that token. If you are, you know, if you quote unquote baby your garden, or if you make it to the point where your plants um, rely on being watered every single day, what it's, it's kind of like what happens if you forget, or if it doesn't rain or you go out of town and then you can train specifically, if we want to give the example about watering, you can train your plant to not need as much water. You can also do things obviously like watering deeply and mulching and things like that, Mm -hmm. but you can train them to not need so much, um, babying and yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so much fun. Um, there are so many different varieties, so many things that you can do with tomatoes. Um, there's not one wrong or right way to grow them. And, uh, did you know, I don't like ketchup. I think I did know that because, weird. well, I've had, I've had the luxury of getting to hang out with Mandy in person <laughs> multiple times now. And I'm sure that when we went out to a restaurant at one point that probably came up. Yeah, it's just not my thing. But but you like but you like barbecue. Yeah. Fun facts. Fun facts. <laughs> okay, so as always, we're here for um, you all, and um, hope you have an incredible day. Cheers. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Homestead Education Podcast. Any relevant material will be put in the show notes. We hope you'll share our episodes and also click that subscribe button. For more information about this podcast, you can visit us on Instagram at Homestead Education Podcast. Angela can be found online at axeandroothomestead.com and on Instagram at axeandroothomestead. Mandy can also be found online at thefarmermandy.com and on Instagram at Wild Oak Farms. We'll see you next time.